Welcome back to today's podcast, Doing Tech Better in Government. I'm Brian Fox, and in this series, you'll be hearing from different technologists and technology leaders in government about their efforts to modernize digital capabilities. Together, we will learn about the technology, the processes, and cultural changes they've adopted to rapidly improve their digital services and hear about their experience leading this change in government. Hello, thank you all for joining us in today's Doing Tech Better in Government podcast. I'm Brian Fox with Omni Federal, and many thanks to ATARC for hosting today's special. I am so glad today to have an old friend of mine from the Department of Interior joining us, Rick DeLab. Rick, you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, your organization, and your role there? Sure. Hey, Brian, good to see you. Yeah, so I am Interagency Program Manager for Recreation.gov, or Recreation One Stop. It is interagency partnership between a number of different agencies. It's administered by the U.S. Forest Service and includes Department of Interior Land Management Agencies, including the National Park Service, Bureau of Land Management, Reclamation, and the Fish and Wildlife Service. We also work with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and a number of other organizations out there, like the National Archives, where we offer tour tickets in advance for guided tours at the National Archives. I oversee the operation. I have a program team that handles finances, operations, permits, and strategic communications and customer experience. Myself, I am, I have been working for the National Park Service for 34 years and I started off as ranger in Rocky Mountain National Park in 1989. And you know, careers ago, they evolved into this one. Uh, one day they called me, to go to a meeting about reservation services, and that's, that's how I got here. Well, that's exciting. What, what an interesting career to start as a park ranger and then be driving change as far as creating a new service like recreation.gov. It's really exciting. Mm-hmm. I, I know you all used modern methods to develop that capability to help improve the ability for folks to reserve uh, recreational opportunities, campsites, uh, and the like. Regarding agile methods, cloud-based capabilities, and even dev- DevSecOps methods and tools, what have you all been able to accomplish and demonstrate uh, through the launching and you know, update of recreation.gov? When, <clears throat> when I started, the government was relying on existing platforms that provided reservation services, primarily for front country campgrounds. Most of those services were fairly static. Um, they provided the basic range of, they covered the basic range of needs that the agencies had. And, um, and that worked fine until we started really broadening the offerings from recreation.gov into things like wilderness permitting, <clears throat> uh, river permitting, ticketing. Um, and as you've seen recently, things like timed entry, digital passes, and so forth. What we saw back in about 10 years ago was the need for something that was a little bit more modern and could adjust to these uh, kind of changing technologies, changing expectations, and really improved customer expectation service to, uh, to give a higher level of customer experience. So we, working with the U.S. Digital Service at the time, we started looking at modern approaches to software development, including those commonly used in places like Silicon Valley and elsewhere, where uh, 
using agile methods, we could adapt and pivot along the way to meet those needs and, um, and, and really evolve with technology as opposed to lagging behind, which is so frequently the case in many e-commerce solutions. How did you all start on that journey? It seems like USDS played a critical role, but what were some of the first things that you did as you worked with them? I think one of the first things we did was a lot of public engagement. What we wanted to learn was from the public and from our agency staff, what did, what did you need going forward? How is this service meeting your needs currently and what is it not meeting? Um, and using that kind of focal point, really drove us to a different approach than something like canned off the shelf software that could, you know, you could make a camping reservation for. It was early on in the days of the U.S. Digital Service, and we met with a few folks from there who introduced us to some of the differing techniques in developing software. We hosted industry days where we could invite vendors and um, interested people from the public to join us together and talk about what their needs were and also talk amongst themselves and kind of get an idea for the landscape that was out there in software development and government citizen service delivery. We follow that with a, a different kind of public engagement or engagement where we invited vendors to meet with us privately so we could learn more about what they had to offer, what their insights were into technology. Uh, oftentimes we found from them ideas that were brand new that we hadn't thought about or things that we were thinking about that they said, yeah, that's kind of old. <laughs> so I think those were really key. And I think that's a key thing in, in uh, this field is to continually listen to the public and to, to your stakeholders and see what it is they want rather than telling them what they you think they need, just let them tell you. Yeah, excellent. Nothing like user or human-centered design, right? Exactly. Engaging. Well, that's exciting. What were, what were some critical enablers in, in those first critical steps? Because what you're describing is very different. Anything that was a, an important enabler early on? Yeah, I think one of the biggest enablers was agency support from our leadership. I think uh, Agile was a little bit frightening for some people because it is very intense and requires, you know, a lot of dedication. We had a small team, which we were able to grow over time to meet various needs of the Agile approach and constantly engage with our contractors, uh, with our staff in the field, and with the public to make sure that we were delivering what was needed. And when we weren't, that's the key point is to get the feedback and say, okay, this is not working as well as it could. It's, I think we've all been frustrated at times to uh, be using digital platform that is non-intuitive or confusing and you submit feedback and nothing ever happens. So we wanted to kind of twist that a little bit and make sure that we were dedicating our resources to gathering that feedback, analyzing it, and then acting upon it. And I think that's one of the things that has really made this program much more successful. Absolutely. What are some of the impacts and outcomes that you've seen with Recreation.gov, right? Uh, some of the impacts, I think, well, we've gone, obviously we've 
evolved from a front country front country campground reservation system to a full-on trip planning experience. Uh, and we've provided an enterprise tool for the agencies to use so that they don't have to reinvent this wheel over and over. So when you think about some of those impacts, there's a lot of things hidden behind the screen or behind the curtain that you don't usually recognize, but there's a whole process to acquisition um, that costs money and time. There is detailed security plan. There is bi-coastal, you know, redundant cloud hosting. There's a call center. There's mobile apps. There's Section 508 compliance. All of these things take a tremendous amount of time and energy and money. Um, but we've included it all in the price of the reservation so that it's self-funded and the agencies don't need to invest the time or the personnel in recreating that over and over. They simply have to pick up the phone and call representative from the program and say, we're interested in being part of the team. And we, that gets the ball rolling. Uh, you know, we started off primarily with the Army Corps of Engineers and the Forest Service. We now have nine different agencies that are using the platform just for reservations. Others that use it for some data sharing. And we expect a lot of that to evolve and grow. We move from camping to a dozen different services. And it doesn't even include all the things that are behind the scenes, like your user profile and financial management, et cetera. Many different aspects of the back end that uh, really make an agency more efficient and makes it easier on the staff. Rick, one of the things that's really fascinating with recreation.gov is, is how it brings the data and the ability to reserve to run those reservations across all of federal government. One of the, one of the critiques that, that the public or the user can have uh, of government digital services is uh, they often don't know uh, where to put the form or, or who, who is responsible for what form, right? And, and this, this process challenge can, can exist in so many fronts, but it seems like you all have really addressed that well, allowing folks to find a campsite, make a reservation, regardless of who's managing it, or a service, BLM, Park Service, National Park Service. How, would you mind sharing a little bit about how you, how you accomplished that? How you brought multiple land management entities together to, to create a very empathetic to the public who isn't concerned about government structure to really ease that friction? Sure. You know, there are, there's a couple of things in that question. <laughs> I think um, for many people, the boundary line between a U.S. national park and a national forest is, is, you know, agnostic. Nobody really, not everyone knows the difference. For other people, they know it quite well because maybe they want to bring their dog camping. And that's much easier to do in a national forest or a Bureau of Land Management area than it is into a national park. So we have toyed back and forth with, you know, how do we, uh, how do we present all that information, uh, whether it's in a park or a forest or an Army Corps lake. And with different levels of success, really, depending on what the public is, is looking for. But I think that the key thing really is that people just want to get outside. You know, COVID obviously sparked uh, a new generation of outdoor enthusiasts that were tired of being stuck inside and wanted to find adventure. 
And on recreation.gov, you can find that adventure in so many different ways, whether it's something very complex like a mountaineering or a whitewater river rafting trip to something as basic as, you know, going and having a picnic at a pavilion um, at a lake. But what we want to do is, to, is understand the breadth of that desire to get out and refresh and provide as many opportunities to do that. You know, it's not so when I was a kid, when you were a kid, Brian, we probably all just drove up to the hills and got a campsite and we were all good. We didn't think about reserving. Sometimes you thought about, you know, am I going to get the best site? But you never were really worried about getting one. Nowadays, with the, the pressure on our public resources, people want to know that when they get there, you know, an hour, two, three hours later, that something's going to be available to them. And so what we try to do is provide the agencies with that resource to allow people that quality trip planning, understand what's out there that they know of and understand what's out there that they've never even thought of. Really broaden that experience and then become, you know, ultimately supporters of the land and and stewards of the resources. Because, you know, the missions are all very different for each agency, but Ultimately, what it is, is providing a great experience and making sure that the next generation gets to do it again. Absolutely. And I appreciate that. You also described how recreation.gov is is helping manage all the the users. You mentioned COVID. uh, During COVID and even post-COVID, it got a lot of folks interested in hiking, mountain biking, camping, getting outdoors, all sorts of ways. Through all of that, is there anything that you and your team have learned that's necessary back to the land management agencies to help not only reduce the anxiety for folks like, yes, we have a a campsite reserved, uh, but also to help better, uh, lack of a better phrase, kind of take care of the land, take care of those, those limited resources. Yeah, it's a, that's a tough line there. Obviously, when you think about things like timed entry for some of the major attractions in the country. That evolved over a period of a couple of weeks. Lines were out the door, you know, places like Rocky Mountain National Park. There was no parking. Once you got there, you were in a parking lot on the road. You couldn't get to a trailhead. And which ultimately leads to resource degradation and a poor experience, right? You get on a trail and there's it's wall-to-wall people and in a long line. That's not the wilderness experience most people are looking for. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and then add to that, you know, people having to pull off on the side of the road and then the shoulders get bigger and bigger. The garbage cans overfill, you know, the just the basic infrastructure of location that you're going to, it's overwhelmed um, and it becomes, it's just not exactly what you were hoping for. So there is, there's a dividing line between what's limiting and what's uh, preserving, I think, in my mind. Um, I used to live in Colorado and I used to love to go to Rocky Mountain National Park, but I, the experience became such that I didn't really want to go there anymore because the lines were long and there was nowhere to park. All the places I wanted to go, I couldn't go to. So as an individual, I found value in the fact that they were restricting the number of people in so that those who did get in could have a better experience. Um, uh, it doesn't, that doesn't always work for someone who's on spur of the moment and wants to go up and can't get a last minute ticket reservation, you know, to go up going to the Sun Road or something like that. So there's a balance somewhere in there. I think that we'll have to navigate that. 
forever <laughs> because um, you know the U.S. was pretty smart a long time ago with the creation of public lands, um, and it's an idea that has taken off around the world, and it becomes a, you know a driving factor in tourism and in economic prosperity for gateway communities. There's so many benefits to outdoor recreation and the public land system that we have here in the U.S. That it's just always going to be a work in progress to make sure that we can sustain it and uh, you know work with our communities and and provide the best experience. Absolutely. Um, and it seems like that works really well with that iterative agile method. That as pain points are discovered and you describe it as a line. I love that where you you want to take care and preserve of of the land, but also provide a quality help kind of protect the experience too, right? And ensure there is access, but it can go, you know, you talk about like the shoulders widening, folks are having to park along the road as the, the experience becomes maybe too popular. Is there anything that you all have done or are continuing to do with the stakeholders, the government stakeholders that have, you already described how the park service is different than forest service and BLM in there. The rules of the those particular lands that they have to manage are also different. Is there anything you're doing to, as they discover pain points through popularity, maybe of a, hey, we need to uh, to do things. Is there anything y'all are doing uh, to work with them and 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 then through that adjust recreation.gov so that the land is better managed and those experiences are uh, remaining high quality for everyone. Yeah. Well, I think it's. Kind of one thing that's really important to understand is that recreation.gov itself as a program within the government, we don't really manage the lands. That is left to the expertise of a forest supervisor, a project manager, a park superintendent, and so forth. And there are so many different driving factors for the decisions that they make. What seems like a good idea at this location maybe didn't consider the use patterns of a different location. And they can't always do that. So that's always going to be an individual uh, or an individually led uh, approach to managing the lands. But the second part of your question really is what do we do to help them? And so one thing is all those things I talked about before, we take care of all that. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to start working on a contract and you don't have to devise, you know, the latest security plan. Uh, because that's all done for you. The second thing we do is we pivot frequently. Um, we never know what's right around the corner. You know, rafting one river in Idaho is different than rafting another river in Arizona. Maybe the water flows are different. Maybe the demand is different. You think about something like the Grand Canyon where people have waited for years and years to get a chance to go down. Uh, there's not a single solution. And so what we do as a program is try to be as flexible as possible while retaining some consistency <laughs> for ease of mind, <laughs> ease of my mind, but provide solutions that are going to work depending on the local needs. And that could be, you know, resource protection, cultural resource preservation, local, you know, business opportunities and so forth. It's different everywhere you go. And so I think that's part of our, our mission. Our, uh, the other part of our mission is to provide the best experience. When people are, you know, different generations work with digital platforms differently. And it has to be the best it can be 
to serve as many of the public as possible. And, and so there's no one answer and there's not an answer that's gonna live forever because it'll change in a few years. And we wanna be there ready to, to adopt the new expectation and, and meet it. Absolutely, you all are doing that so well. Rick, what are some of the challenges that you all face as you continue to modernize? You mentioned pivoting. What, what are some of the challenges that you're, you're having to pivot against that you haven't shared already? Well, I think I've kind of covered a lot of them. I think some of it is misunderstanding of the program and kind of a little bit of insulation. You know, people tend to focus on what affects them uh, directly and maybe not what affects everyone. You know, there was a number of media pieces over the last couple of years that got parts of the story right and parts of it were not quite right. That's a challenge because we're doing our best to meet those needs. And when the story gets out wrong, if you're not ahead of it, you're behind it, right? And <clears throat> so I think that's a challenge. And I, gosh, I implore people to you know try to understand it from as many perspectives as possible. We won't have these national parks and national forests if we don't take measures to take care of them. It's not free to do. And we want to, you know, so we, as we go forward, again, our biggest challenge is to understand the evolving landscape and, you know, and move into it so that we can get ahead of the messaging we can also provide as many tools and efficiencies for the agencies as possible. Rick, thank you so much for sharing your perspective on everything. Is there anything I didn't ask that you'd like to share? No, I think, I mean, I think that recreation.gov really uh, uh, stepped out in this area. I think this approach to government to citizen delivery of digital services is really a positive step. And I, you know, sometimes when I interact with different, not even just government websites or digital platforms, but private e-commerce ones, it's like, hey, how about some feedback? I got an idea for you. <laughs> I wrote to my bank one time and I said, you guys almost nailed this, but except for this. And they sent me a note and they said, thanks, we're going to fix that. And I think that's what we want to be. We want to be in that space where, you know, we hear people and we provide them with the opportunity to be a part of a growing um, platform. Well, Rick, thank you again. Sure appreciate it. Sharing everything about recreation.gov. I know I uh, enjoy using it when, whenever I'm uh, getting outdoors, whether it's here in the Southeast. I moved to Huntsville about two and a half years ago. So I've actually had a blast using recreation.gov to explore Western North Carolina, Eastern Tennessee, Northern Georgia. So using it quite a bit. Thank, thank you and your team so much. And for everyone listening in, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Thanks again to ATARC for hosting today. Should appreciate all their efforts. If you would like to be on virtual stage and share what your program and government is doing to do tech better, feel free to reach out to me. Sure appreciate it. And thank you all again for joining. Rick, thank you, sir. Hey, thanks a lot, Brian. Good to talk to you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Doing Tech Better in Government. Don't hesitate to reach out if you'd like to be a part of a future podcast, as we'd love to hear from you. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion, and don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. See you next time, Doing Tech Better in Government.